Wow, pretty cool. Some more of you joined us since I did the announcements. Great. Great to have you. Did you enjoy that extra hour of sleep? Man, I'm still enjoying it. Oh, it's cool. Hey, sorry for the mistake back there, guys, you know. Uh, thanks, for, thank, thanks, Dale, for correcting the NC State. Is that right? Did I get it? Yeah. All right, cool. Uh, and some people wanted to know why y'all got reserved seating. They paid $3,000 for those seats. I just want y'all to know. Uh, you can have that next week. Just send me the check. You know, we'll, we'll put a reserve sign out there for you. <clears throat> All right, uh, turn in your Bibles, if you would, to 1 Corinthians chapter 13. Again, looking at verses 1 through 3. Hear God's Word. If I speak with the tongues of men and angels, but do not have love, I have become a noisy gong or a clanging cymbal. If I have the gift of prophecy and I know all mysteries and all knowledge, and if all faith, so as to remove mountains, but do not have love, I'm nothing. And if I give all my possessions to feed the poor, and if I surrender my body to be burned, but do not have love, it profits me nothing. I want us to consider this morning vanity, the nothingness, the emptiness of life. You know, it's, it's, it's far too easy for us to live our lives, and in the end, it be worthless. I mean, if you were to stand before God on your last day, what do you have to show for it? What do you have to show for your existence here on earth that matters to God? It's far too easy for us to live our lives and get to that place. And really, when we think about it, we don't have much to show to God. The, no, none of us want that. The Corinthians were in danger of that experience. And so their pastor comes to them and says, you're real close to ending up with nothing. And you don't want that. And the only way to escape that is you've got to have the love of God in your heart for Him and for others. Or we end up vain, empty, in nothingness. Um, think about it this way. Have you ever tried to minister to a very wonderful, attractive person of another race and recruit them to our church just because you really like the idea of more diversity? How'd that go? Didn't go well for me. I've tried it. Have you ever tried to help someone who is an adulterer, adulteress? They're in an affair and you really want to help fix it. How did that go? Have you ever tried to minister to a homosexual or lesbian? And you really wanted to lead them to repentance and faith and life in Christ because you saw a lot of difficulty on having a gay friend for the rest of your life if they don't get saved. How did that go? Have you ever really just worked on 
fixing your children because quite frankly at times they are embarrassing. How did that go? I mean, there are lots of ministries we do and we do them because we think it's right, it's good, it makes people happy. It looks good, but people can't see our hearts. Do you ever confess you do those ministries? I'll confess. I've done all of those ministries without proper love in my heart for God and for man. Just doing good things because it would be good, I think. But that's just polished humanity. That's good things because... Humans like those things. But I could do all of those things. And without the love of God. And a true love for them. God says worthless. Empty. In vain. That's what we're dealing with. That's what the Corinthians were in danger of. Good ministries without love. I regret those ministries Without love. Jesus says, lay up for yourself treasures in heaven. Are we laying up for ourselves treasures? The treasures don't get there without a love for God and a love for others. Uh, there is remedy. The remedy is through divine love. Rem- Let me remind you quickly of the last three, uh, last couple of messages on 1 Corinthians 13. The first thing we realized when we were looking through 1 Corinthians 13 is that the love he's talking about here is not polished humanity. It's not something that we just work up. The love that's being described here is of a divine source. It is God's love. It's divine love. That if we don't have that love, we are living our lives in vain. And then second, we found out as we looked at this, that having this love is not a matter of performance. Us just doing good things. That we're not going to get this love by performing better. We are going to get this love by a dependency on God's grace. We're going to get this love by a dependency on God's church. We're going to get this love by a dependency on God's word. And we're going to get this love by a dependency on prayer. That's the kind of love we're talking about. Now he wants to take it one step further and show us that if we are going to escape vanity, we have to have ministry with love as opposed to ministry without love. And the love we're talking about is God's love that we get through a dependency on God's grace, church, word, and prayer. So let's look at 1 Corinthians 13 with all of that in mind, that what we want to is a ministry with love. Now, he gives us in the first three verses five illustrations. And these five illustrations pretty much sum up the ministries we could be involved in, ministries of speech, scholarship, spirituality, socialism, and sacrifice. First of all, let's look at speech without love. First verse, if I speak with the tongues of men and angels, but don't have love, I'm nothing. The illustration he gives there, he says, if if you could speak with all the tongues, you, you, you knew all the languages of humans, and you knew all the languages that are spoken in heaven, if you had it all, and you still didn't have love, as impressive as it sounds, and would be, you're like a, a monkey with a symbol. 
You're like a fire station with a tornado alarm. You know, it's just loud and noisy, and nobody wants to be around it very long. Clanging cymbals, uh, loud, noisy gongs. You got somebody's attention, but it really doesn't impress very long. You know, uh, people who can speak a lot of languages, they're impressive. Um, I had to learn four languages in all of my education. I can't speak any of them. The only one I can speak is the one nobody taught me. That's Southern. You know, I then, y'all know what I mean. It's impressive if we can speak languages. But without love, God says, it's a zero. It's just noise. And it's not impressive to God at all. Um, numerous languages. I've had people in counseling where I have to tell them, I said, you know, you just don't know how to talk to one another. Communication is important. We've got to learn to speak to one another, but we need to speak properly. Look over at Ephesians chapter 4, verse 15. Just a quick phrase. Ephesians 4, verse 15, describing one of the job responsibilities of everybody in the church. Speaking about all the, all the people right there sitting in the chair. It says, but we need to be speaking the truth in love. We're to grow up in all aspects unto him who is the head, even Christ. Our speaking must be speaking with love. We can't just be speaking to one another. Because without love, it's nothing. Um, it's vain. Speech without love, vain. Second illustration that he gives us. Scholarship without love. The second part of verse 1, um, he says... Um, or excuse me, verse 2. If I have the gift of prophecy, think about prophecy, know all mysteries, and all knowledge. All of those things require intelligence, require scholarship. So if you, you have the ability to prophesy, explain mysteries, knowledge. In other words, you have an enormous amount of intelligence, and you think because of it, you should speak to somebody. And you need to share it with somebody. You have enough knowledge and insight that other people need to listen to you. God says, if you have all of that, and yet you speak without love, it's nothing. I think it's smart to direct others, but not without love. Only in love. In other words, the heart matters before the head. You know, I was thinking this morning, we look at people... Uh, especially women. You look at women, they say, don't look down here, look up here. Like, my head's more important than my heart. No, we're talking about the inner's more important than the outer. We think certain things impress us. God says, make sure it's in love, because if it's not in love, as impressive as it is, as much as you might know, it is worthless. Look at 1 Corinthians 8. So let's go back a few chapters. The first three verses. He says, Now, concerning things sacrificed to idols, we know that we have all knowledge. Knowledge makes arrogant, but love edifies. If anyone supposes that he knows anything, he has not yet known as he ought to know. But if anyone loves God, 
He is known by him. Just the emphasis there. You can have all knowledge. It just makes you arrogant. Without love. It's zero. It's worthless. Then he gives us a third illustration. Spirituality without love. Second part of verse uh, 2. If I have all faith, so as to remove mountains. You're real spiritual if you got that kind of faith. You got the kind of faith that when you pray, you speak, things happen. If I had that kind of faith, I'd go into landscaping. It's just awesome, that ability. But without love, it's worthless. Again, it's zero. Um, I, I love sharing my prayer requests with my elders, my pastors, because they pray with faith. Faith changes things. They have to pray with love to God and love for me. Or, and they, ha- they do, and that's why it matters. We have that kind of spirituality. Galatians chapter 5. Give you another passage. Galatians 5 verse 6. It says, For in Christ Jesus neither circumcision nor uncircumcision means anything. Faith working through love. That's what matters. Doesn't matter whether you're Jew. Doesn't matter whether you're Gentile. Doesn't matter how spiritual you are. If your faith is not working through love, your faith, it's not working. Fourth illustration it gives us. The illustration of socialism. Uh, Verse 3 says, if I give, you're giving it all away. You don't even have to be taxed. I just, I'm going to give all my possessions to feed the poor. That's pretty impressive. Think about somebody like Mother Teresa. That, as far as we know, she really gave up all her life in ministry, socialism, in taking care of others. And yet the scriptures just kind of shocks us. That that could be done without love. Not saying she did, but I mean, there are people who can minister because they are just about the good of humanity or about the good of themselves, their society. God says if you do all of that without love, it's worthless. Um, Think about it this way you know, we're impressed with the person who weekly gives 10% back to God in worship. We call that a tithe. It's not talking about that. Since we're talking about the person who doesn't give 10%, we're talking about the person who gives 100%. So you got a person who's giving 100%, and if they do it without love, it's no value. We thought 10% was value, and he's saying 100% of no value if it's without love. Think about it this way. Suppose the church needs $3,000. And you say, well, i got $3,000. I'll, I'll give it. So you give. You generously give $3,000. Heard y'all needed this. Use it however you want. I'll just praise God for it. Worship God. Because he gave it to me. I, I'm willing to give it. All right, then the next week you find out the church needs $3 million. You say, well, i got $3 million. I'll give it. So you give the $3 million. 
Now, this time you're thinking, you know, that's a lot of money. I ought to get some sort of recognition for that. And so you start thinking about what kind of recognition is appropriate. Should they name the, the building after me? You know, should they just write me a letter? They, they should somehow recognize this. And you go your way. You see, God's looking at our hearts. And he says, you know, the, when you gave 3,000, you stopped and you worshiped and you praised me. But when you gave 3 million, you stopped to think about yourself. And you wanted recognition. You wanted people to care about you. You wanted people to consider what you had done. You think God doesn't know the difference? He says, that's of no value to me. If, if your giving wasn't in worship and in praise of me, if it wasn't for love, in love for God and love for his people. A lot of times we can do a lot of generous stuff, but without love, God says, it's zero. And then the fifth illustration, sacrifice. Sacrifice without love, the last part of verse 3. If I sacrifice, I surrender my body to be burned. That's a sacrifice. But do not have love, it profits me nothing. Sacrifices are of great value to us. You hear it from your parents, you hear it from your spouses, you hear it from your friends when they say stuff like, do you, don't you know how much that cost me? Don't you know how much time it took me to do that? What are they saying? I've got investment in that. I sacrifice my time. I sacrifice my money. In other words, that was valuable to me. And you've trashed it. And God is saying, that sacrifice was without value. You could have given your body to be burnt. And it still would have been without value. If it's not with love for God and love for man. Now, five illustrations. Remember, they're all illustrations. They're all illustrative speech. It's the figure speech called hyperbole. It's exaggeration for emphasis. None of us have known or will know anybody who has all languages on earth and in heaven. That's an exaggeration. None of us have the kind of scholarship that we can do all prophecy, all mysteries, all knowledge. It's an exaggeration. None of us have so much faith we move mountains. None of us have this socialistic ability to just give all, 100%. None of us sacrifice our bodies the way it's being described here and live to talk about it. This is an illustration. This illustration just screams the importance of love. He's saying even if you could have all of this, but you didn't have love, it would be vain. So how important then is love? It's not in the text. People criticize me from time to time of not giving you the whole Bible. I can't read the whole Bible to you every week. 
But let's just stop, though it's not in the text, and let's give it a little balance this morning. If you're a believer, it is impossible as a believer in Christ to die and go to heaven and have no value. But this text is screaming how little value we could end up with. What we need to remember as Christians, we have huge value in Christ. Why? Because first of all, it's about love, right? We are loved by the Father. So much that He sends His only begotten Son into the world. We are loved by the Son. He dies on the cross for us. We are loved by the Holy Spirit. He pours out, Romans 5, 5, His love abroad in our hearts. We are the object of God's love. We are love in God's making. We are love when we live because of the Spirit living through us. Because of that, we Because we are in Christ, we are valued in His love. Praise God. And that's why we must know our identity in Christ. So many people who are not in Christ, their lives are suicidal and empty. The only place there is value is in Christ. We are those who are in Christ, filled with His love. If you're not in Christ this morning, I hope you see how desperate you must be for Christ. For without Christ, you're without love. And without love, zero. Your life is being lived in vain. Now, I said, how can I reorient my thinking? How can I get there so that I'm thinking and living each day In Christ and in the love of Christ. Let me give you three things. We need to embrace, obviously, and possess the divine love of God. How can we do that? Number one, we must begin to focus on the heart. Focus on the heart. You know, in the Bible, there are 619 references to heart. It's a pretty major subject, wouldn't you think? God wants us to focus on the heart. Look at... The verse with me, 1 Samuel chapter 16, verse 7. Great uh, demonstration of this, 1 Samuel 16. David's being selected as the next leader, and he's got a lot of brothers, and Samuel is looking at all of them and trying to select the the right guy to be uh, king. And after he's, he's looked at everybody but David, you know, he finally um, gets to David. And uh, verse 7, you know, it's like Samuel said, how is it that I couldn't figure this out? Verse 7, but the Lord said to Samuel, don't look at his, at his appearance or at the height of his stature because I've rejected him. For God sees not as man sees. For man looks at the outward appearance, but the Lord looks at the heart. Even David was a handsome man. So the illustration here is not between handsome and ugly. It's really between handsome and more handsome kind of thing. But God's point is, just quit looking at that altogether. He says, you're looking for your next leader. How many of us do that with 
candidates for political office. What do they look like? How good do they look? God says, you've got to learn to focus on the heart. Man looks at the outward. That's his tendency. He says, but I'm looking at a man's heart. Because without a heart of love, you see, it's the life that they lead is going to be in vain. We've got to learn to get back to that focus. It's a focus on the heart. The original commandment to us to love one another was on the heart. Look at Leviticus 19. This is where we first get it. The command to, to love. Leviticus 19, beginning at verse 17. says, You shall not hate your fellow countrymen in your heart. The focus on this command was, you need to evaluate your heart. Don't hate one another from your heart. You may surely reprove your neighbor, but you shall not incur sin because of him. You shall not take vengeance, nor bear any grudge against the sons of your people, but you shall love your neighbor as yourself. I'm the Lord. God says, focus on your heart as you love your neighbor. And then God gives us the command, obviously, to love him. Look at Deuteronomy Chapter 6, God's speaking to us there. Verse 3, O Israel, you shall listen, be careful to do it, that it may be well with you, and that you may multiply greatly, just as the Lord, the God of your fathers, has promised you. In a land flowing with milk and honey, hear, O Israel, the Lord our God is one. You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your might. That's what everything within you. That's the kind of love God is expecting of us. That our love for one another and our love for God is from the heart. We must focus on the heart to have that kind of love. Now, let me give you an example of it. You can turn there. I, I won't. I just spend, can do it quicker maybe without going there. John chapter 8, the first eight verses. It's the story of a woman caught in adultery. You remember that adultery? You remember that uh, story? You know, so people catch this woman committing adultery. And it says, in the act. So there's no question. There's witnesses. They know she's an adulteress. And they bring her to Jesus while Jesus is teaching in the temple. And so they say, the Pharisees bring her. And they interrupt the service. And say, Jesus, we want to know. This woman was caught in the act of adultery. What does the law say we're supposed to do? Well, they know the, the law says you're supposed to stone adulterers. They want to know what Jesus is going to do with that command. And so that's the place where Jesus, you know, he stoops down and he starts writing something. Must have had a real dusty floor, something in there. But he starts writing something on the ground. And people are wondering what he's writing. And the Bible doesn't tell us what he's writing. Lots of speculation. So, I'll tell you what he, what he could have written. I, I don't know what he wrote either. But let's just suppose he wrote on the ground there, man looks at the outward, God looks at the heart. Something like that. And then, after everybody's kind of anxious, well, what's next? Jesus stands up, so they've all read or they've whispered what's been written there. He's writing, man looks at the outward, 
God looks at the heart. You know, that gets whispered around or everybody sees it. We don't know. And God, Jesus then says, I tell you what, anybody in this room that does, that's not a sinner, anybody who hasn't committed sin, you pick up the first stone. And so they're evaluating their hearts. And one by one, they leave. And after everybody's left, the only two people left in the room is Jesus and this adulterer. As Jesus asked her, said, where, where are your accusers? And she says, they've all gone. And Jesus says, well, I don't accuse you either. I forgive you. And then he commands her, go, speaks right to her heart, go and sin no more. Now, let's suppose Paul, Paris, Paul Pharisee gets home. His wife says as he comes through the door, Paul, what'd you do today? Well, I cleaned up some of the trash down on Main Street. Oh, really? That's cool. What do you mean? Well, I gathered up some of the prostitutes, some of the homeless, some of the adulterers, took them out to the landfill. What'd you do out there? Well, we, we buried them with stone. Oh. Except for one. We took one to Jesus. He let her go. Who had a service of love that day? Those who were wanting to bury a sinner or sinners with stone? Or the one who wanted to forgive and focus on the heart? You need a different heart, a heart that sins no more. Both are involved in ministry. And it's so easy for us to be involved in ministry and miss the heart. Go back to the five illustrations in 1 Corinthians 13. Um, think about child training. How many of you want your kids to speak well? Yes. How many of you want them to be scholars? You want them to know stuff. Press people with their stuff. Even memorize stuff that's impressive. How many of you want them to be uh, full of this, you know, this incredible spiritual person with, with lots of faith? How many of you want them to, to be generous givers? How many of you want them to learn how to sacrifice and life not to be just about them and to realize you can do all of those things without love? Do we raise our kids up to have this outward appearance that really is impressive or do we focus on their hearts? And we're constantly challenging the heart of man. The heart of the problem is the problem of the heart. Is that our focus? It's so easy to get caught up in polished humanity and end your life without value. And the way we get there is by failing to focus on the heart because that's what God's doing. So again, evaluate your ministries. You can have five wonderful ministries and you can have them without love and they will be worthless. Well, focus on the heart. Second, you must realize the heart we're talking about is a regenerate heart, not just any heart. So seek a heart-level activity ministry 
Second, make it a regenerate heart. Seek a regenerate heart. Shared this verse last week. Let me share it again. Ezekiel 36, verse 26. Ezekiel 36, verse 26. Speaking of the new covenant, God says, Moreover, I will give you a new heart, and I'll put a new spirit within you, and I'll remove the heart of stone from your flesh and give you a heart of flesh. I'll put my spirit within you and cause you to walk in my statutes, and you'll be careful to observe my ordinances. I've had people come to me and say, Hey, preacher, don't, don't preach to me. I've already tried Jesus. That doesn't work. I say, yeah, you're exactly right. They look at me like, what? I said, trying Jesus won't work. I said, have you tried the commandments? They said, yeah or no. I said, that doesn't work either. What are you talking about? I said, it doesn't work. I said, it won't work because you don't have the Spirit of God within you. You must have a new heart. Without a new heart, without the Spirit of God that causes you to trust Jesus, that causes you to keep His commandments, it won't work. The focus must be on the heart, and the heart must be a regenerate heart. You can't do it. Only Christ can. John 15, 5. Without Him, we are nothing. We must have Christ in us. He's our only hope of glory and value. Christ in us. So seek to focus on the heart and then focus on a regenerate heart. What Christ could do for us is far more important than what we can do for ourselves. And then third, not only a regenerate heart, but once God has come into our heart and regenerated it, given it life by putting His Spirit within us, we must seek a clean heart. We're still sinners. We still mess up. And we need to focus on that. Look at Psalm 51. David, after he committed great sin, God uses him to give us this psalm. And in it, just pearls of wisdom on the need for our hearts to be clean. Psalm 51. Verse 6. Behold, you desire, speaking of God, God, you desire truth in our innermost being. And in the hidden part, you will make me know wisdom. God, I know you, you want to communicate on a deeper level. You want to get to the heart of things. That's what David realizes. So he prays for that. Verse uh, 10, created me. A clean heart, O oh God. Renew a steadfast spirit within me. Verse 17. The sacrifices of God are a broken spirit, a broken and contrite heart, O oh God. You will not despise. You want to get to heaven and find something God doesn't despise? He just told us. He says, I won't despise a heart that's contrite, that's humble, that's submissive before me, that's seeking to be cleansed by me, that's seeking to be in love with me. So I'll never despise that. That will be of value. David gets it. Must focus on his heart. Must be a regenerate heart. Must be a clean heart. Here's a verse for you to memorize. Look at Psalm 119. Verse 37. I thought about this this week. Psalm 119, verse 37. I thought, I need to memorize this. Psalm 
Let me read it to you. Turn away my eyes from looking at vanity and revive me in your ways. Psalm 119, verse 37. Turn away my eyes from looking at vanity. How much vanity have you seen this week? How much vanity will you see today? Just empty stuff. Stuff of no value. Turn away my eyes from looking at vanity and revive me in your ways. I need my heart to burn with love for God. I need my heart to be revived in love for others. I need my heart to be cleansed so that it's not selfish and about me. It's really about God and His church. So many times that's not our focus. That's why it's so easy to live our lives without value. You know these things. It's not, it's not new. But boy, it hits us in the face because it's not the way the world talks about love. Suppose you have a marriage and either the husband or the wife is withholding their love from their spouse. Doesn't matter which one. And so the spouse that's not getting love confronts the other spouse and says, I just don't feel like you're putting any effort into loving me. That you're withholding your love. The other spouse hits the wall. What? Are you kidding me? I mean, I work all the time. I'm taking care of the kids. I'm taking care of the house. I'm doing all of these things that you want more. And does that satisfy? The other spouse, oh, you're right. Okay, okay, we're good, we're good. No, absolutely not. That doesn't satisfy them. Why? Because we all know. It doesn't matter what you do. It doesn't matter how much you do. If there's no love, that relationship is empty. It's vain. It's lacking value. Love matters that much. It matters more than all of those other things. And without it, we're, we're in trouble here of having a life with no value. God doesn't want that for any of us. Only in Christ can we have that relationship of great value. Let's pray together. Father, it seems that even in this room there's great distraction this morning. In the world, there is great distraction. From the apps on our phone, there's great distraction. Everything's trying to get us to run after vanity. Emptiness. Just doing the next thing. And all without love. Have mercy on us, O oh God. We are sinners. 
in need of grace. We are need in need of you pouring out love in our hearts. We're desperate without you. Change us. Draw us to yourself. Forgive us of our sins. Fill us with your love. Let us turn our eyes from vanity. Revive us, O God, in your ways. For we ask in Jesus' name, amen.